first, I'd like to thank Dave, because none of this shit would happen if it wasn't for Dave. So thank you for letting me be in your band. Um, I want to thank Sam, our management, John Silva, and your badass team for making us a shit ton of money. Thank you. I want to thank my beautiful wife, my beautiful children, my beautiful wife, Allison, Shane Hawkins, Annabelle Hawkins, Everly Hawkins, I love you guys so much. I'd like to share this award with, with a couple bands that I'd like to see get in there someday too. Um, I'd like to see George Michael in there one day, love that. I'd like to see Jane's Addiction in there, I'd really like that. I'd like to see Soundgarden in there, I'd really like that. And thanks everyone. Um, I'd like Hello This is um, A very sad day A moment of silence First and foremost For Taylor Hawkins Oliver Taylor Hawkins, born February 17th, 1972, died March 25th, 2022. Before joining the Foo Fighters, he was a touring drummer for Sass Jordan and Alanis Morissette, as well as the progressive experimental band Sylvia. In 2004, he formed his own side project, Taylor Hawkins and the Coattail Riders, in which he played drums and sang. <sighs> the clip that I played for you at the beginning is when he was inducted last year into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with the Foo Fighters. He was born in Fort Worth, Texas. Same town as uh, Janis Joplin. So, Taylor joined the Foo Fighters. On March 18th, 1997. And for the next 25 years... They played and they played. Taylor Hawkins had such a rock and roll spirit. He even played uh, Iggy Pop in the rock film CBGB. He was married, he had children. He had, um, unfortunately, something in his past that he got through. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the man and the music. And my heart goes out to his family, to the Foo Fighters, especially Dave Grohl. In his recent book, Dave Grohl called Taylor Hawkins his brother from another mother. 
it's important that we honor this true original this is such a sad day the Foo Fighters had just made a horror movie Studio 666 and it's so easy to here's Taylor Hawkins talking about his love it's important I think to try and get like a really great natural drum sound and stick with it so I think the first goal is okay let's catch the true sound of the drums and then go from there You know, it's a 57 on the snare, and we'll put some 414s on the overs, and a beta 52 on the kick drum, and maybe a 47 fat, and 421s on the toms, and, you know, a couple of coals on the rooms. And, and I have no idea what this talking about here. That's what that's, yeah. Supernatural, not a lot of compression, really no compression on the close mics, and maybe compress the rooms a little bit. A lot of times it's just a matter of if. Like, if it's a small little room, you can you don't really want to bash. Luckily, here in, the, in our big old 606 room, you can kill the drums. I mean, you can beat the crap out of them and, and still get a pretty good sound out of them. You know, I like to make little records in between Foo Fighter records. And a lot of times, 606 is busy. But I still want to be able to have a creative environment at home to be able to record a, a, a record in my house. You know, back in the day when you had to have a tape machine and you had to have da-da-da-da-da, you, you know, you were lucky if you had an eight-track, you know, or a four-track. Yeah, a ton of space. We have a TDM HD system here. We have the H, you know, the HDX system, and and, uh, and it sounds great. And we're actually running, the studio has a symphony that we're running Pro Tools HD through. When we were putting the rig together for his house, we, he wanted to put a recording rig to the house, and so we decided it would be a 16 tracks. And so we found some mic frees that we thought were good, and then the symphony was perfect. It was expandable, I could do 16 by 16. Uh, it had the Thunderbolt, you could go directly to the iMac, so I just knew I could really very easily put a super clean sounding good rig at his house. Easy. To be honest, going from here to his house now with the symphony on a Thunderbolt is it's a cool rig. You could go and make a kick-ass record on that. I, I want to throw out a couple of band names just have give me what you think. Uh, Queen. I mean that's for me. Don't get him started. Yeah, that's a whole other 60 Please. minutes. <laughs> That's not, yeah, that's not 60 minutes. That's like 600 minutes. That was my minutes. first concert. I wanted to be Roger Taylor, and I wanted to be in Queen, and, you know, I wanted to play stadiums when I was 10 years old. There's no question. Um, Black Sabbath. They're kind of like a Zeppelin's, you know, ugly cousin. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, kiss. kiss. One of the great things about my life now is that Every morning at drop-off, I get to hang out with the singer of KISS because our kids go to school together. Is that right, really? Yes. And so there was one morning at drop-off where Paul Stanley pulls up in his car in the parking lot of the school, he rolls down the window and goes, Hey, Dave, I wanted you to have this. And he handed me the new KISS record. And I just had this, like, flash. If I, at 10 years old, ever thought that the singer of KISS was going to hand me his new record hey, Dave, at drop-off... <laughs> Abbott.
how can you not love ABBA? Come on. There's Great. a reason why they sold more records than anybody ever. What do you love this, about ABBA? This music, the songs are incredible. My Melody. kids love ABBA. My mom loves it's ABBA. The best Everybody pop, loves it's like ABBA. the best pop music ever. I think. What about uh, Prince? Prince is a genius. Everybody knows it. He's better than everybody at everything he does. The end. <laughs> he did, yeah. He did That's one all of I gotta our... say. Uh, James Brown. James Brown? I mean, come on. Taylor Hawkins is like the James Brown of the Foo Fighters. Because if anyone ever makes a mistake, he shoots up a glance. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In this band, if you if you clam something, uh -huh. Hawkins will look at you like, rookie. Finally, uh, the Beatles. The Beatles really uh, created the blueprint for, um, for the rock band, you know? I feel like there were four members. Each of them were brilliant. Uh, musicians and songwriters and as a kid that's just how I learned to be a musician I had a guitar and I had a Beatles songbook and I swear to God I think still to this day that's all a kid needs to learn how to play music if it weren't for the Beatles I don't think we'd be here <sighs> that's Taylor Hawkins and Dave Grohl talking to Anderson Cooper 60 Minutes all we can do now is remember. Remember those moments. What I can say and that we can all say is that they had fun. They had fun. And you know where that was more evident in their music videos because they really had fun. I think of all the different looks that they did they experimented and, I mean they were dressed as stewardesses in the Learn to Fly video uh, the Big Me video uh, uh, Everlong that's such, a, that's such an epic meditation my god <clears throat> I don't think I've ever been really this stunned you know you you hear it and you don't want to believe it and then you look at someone's face a friend's face and you can just see it you see it i remember learning about taylor hawkins life when i was watching the foo fighters documentary and that was a very personal documentary and you could see the bond between him and Dave Grohl because it was something, the documentary was called Back and Forth. And here's, here's, a, here's yeah, a clip I, I of really it. I really did think, I had that stupid thing. I think a lot of kids, I say kids, I say 20s, that play in rock bands think that you need to be sort of Keith Richards. Or, or whatever, you need to be like that and you need to suffer for your art and you need to be tortured and you need to be dark and you need to be <coughs> fucked up to be cool. And me personally, I realize that that's a bunch of horse shit, you know, and, and, and I realize that to be a drummer, to be a good drummer, you have to be an athlete. <laughs> to take care of yourself and to have a good life you have to take care of yourself. And I have children now, I have a wife, and 
very normal. Do anything that would be considered rock star anymore, really, at all. You know, we don't go to Hollywood parties and we don't, my phone book isn't filled with fucking, you know, actors and, you know, that kind of thing. I don't, we don't, you know, we don't live that kind of life, you know, and it's just great and it's healthy. And I'm into, you know, if I could just quit smoking cigarettes, I'll be the picture of health. The last time you guys were here, I was talking about the Foo Fighters and who is going to put you into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And Dave, you said, I got someone, but I don't want to say it here. I want it to be a surprise and blah, 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 blah. And then it turned out you got Paul McCartney to induct you into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which you really can't do better than that. How does it come about? Do you call him and say, Paul, please do this? Uh, or do you have somebody else do it? I'd be too embarrassed to ask myself. Yeah, we didn't call him personally. I think somebody else did it. But we know him. I mean, you know, he's a really sweet yeah. guy. And we've known him for a long time. So I think he uh, agreed to do it because he wanted to do it for us because we're friends. But um, th we didn't make the personal call, no. Yeah, because that would no. have been awkward. That would have been weird. Right. And yeah. you don't give him any kind of uh, guidelines about what to say. You don't feed him any information. Whatever he says, he <laughs> says, and that's it. Paul, okay, now come here. Get over here, Paul. No, 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 come here. Here's what, you what you're going to say. say. And if Listen, you fucking say this, we man, wrote this. I, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> no, I thought it was neat the way he did the speech, and he sort of made the parallels between Dave being in Nirvana and that being this crazy tornado. And then out of that, Dave found his way to the Foo Fighters, and we slowly kind of made our way up. And he said this sort of a similar story, like the wings from the Beatles. And I, I always kind of thought of us like the wings a little bit. And no, I you've said wings. it on the show. You've said it, yeah, you've said it I, on our show that, that, I, that you I, guys are the wings of grunge. Yeah, and Dave, I was kidding, but I, mean, I know, but it was a funny line. It was a good line. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> you said it on this show, yeah. Well, 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 I mean, well, I, I even think Dave's songwriting and the wing stuff is similar. I mean, it's 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 good song structures and and it's a new. I mean, you know, for Dave to come out of Nirvana and have something as successful as it is, I mean, most people just don't get a second act like that. You know, they don't. Um, they don't. They don't. I've said that and, to Dave. Dave. Dave said, "No, there have been bands who do it." You know, Clapton, uh, of course, went to uh, Cream, but Nirvana yeah. was so big, and Paul was right, Dave. It was a solid. It's speech. funny. I didn't. I never really considered any of that stuff, like as focused as what he was saying. You know. Apparently, I did. Taylor put a lot of thought into this. I think Taylor wrote the fucking speech for Paul as well. Yeah, Paul, get over here, man. Get over here, my lord. I got something to say. I thought it was very magnanimous of you in your Rock and Roll Hall of Fame acceptance speech. You lobbied for the following people to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame: George Michael, Jane's Hell Addiction. Yeah. Boy, were you right on with Jane's addiction. Come on. And Soundgarden, of course. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah, you have to remember, dude. If you remember back in 1988, 89, when uh, Jane's came out and then and then Soundgarden not soon after, um, that was like a real like, oh, man, there's going to be good rock music because it was getting to yep. the point where rock music was kind of not... It's just, like, I liked Van Halen and Early Rat, but it was getting kind of... Like, what, what's going to, is there going to be something good coming? And as soon as you heard Jane's Addiction, and as soon as you heard Soundgarden, you were like, yes, there is. There's rock it, 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 on the horizon. 
That's it was a good. seismic shift in the way music was uh, being produced and heard. It was uh, absolutely. It was getting gutsy and interesting, and you know, not just about partying or whatever. Um, and then George Michael, I just think that guy's got the best voice of all well, time. No offense to George Michael, Jethro Tull before George Michael. I I don't understand that yet. one. No, nah, that's pretty trippy. Yeah, I think King Crimson should be in. Ian McDonald on this week, uh, one of the King, original King Crimson, King Crimson in the court. Let me let me honor them. In the court of the Crimson this. King. In the court of the Crimson the King. Love that. Dave, I don't care who, what Taylor says. It's got to be intimidating being in Foo Fighters. You were in the, in the sense that you were the drummer in Nirvana and you're such a good drummer yourself. I'm sure, Taylor, you sit there and have nightmares that he's going to be critical. And is he critical? <laughs> um, I think because Dave was the drummer and the drummer is like, as you say, oh, who cares about the drummer? You know, and that's the hot seat. And if the gig goes bad, it's the drummer's fault. The band's so, only as good as his drummer. Yeah, the band's only as good as the drummer and only as bad as their drummer as well. So, like, so Dave, he's not a, never a dick about it, really, honestly. I can honestly say that he's never a dick about it. But um, it's intimidating. There's no question. When I joined the band, I was super intimidated because, you know, I met Axl Rose the first time and he said, what's it like being the drummer for the greatest drummer of the 90s? I'm like, oh. Hard. <laughs> Did he really? Yeah, that's what he said to me. I was like, whoa, Axl Rose. And he said that. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's hard. Yeah. And Dave, when you write a new album, and we're here celebrating your new album, we're going to get to all that. But when you write a new album, when you sit down with the band and you say, okay, now we're going to record this stuff, are you open to their changes and their new ideas? Or is it that you just say, look, guys, I've heard this in my head already. I know how I want it to go. Like the first, I don't know, five, seven years of the band, I was like, like it sounds, it's got to sound like this. It's got to sound like this. And then I finally realized, like, what am I doing? You know, this album in particular, I was like, I'm walking out of the room. I'm the, I'm the one thing getting in the way of a good Foo Fighters record. Like I'm the guy that's like hovering over the producer and the engineer, like, no, do this, do this, do this. And I finally realized, like, wait, I'm probably the band's biggest problem. Like, I should just get the fuck out of the room and let the band do the thing that the band does and then come in and be happily surprised. Like, oh, my God, I never imagined that. I never thought of that. And ultimately, that's what, like, a, an album like this, it goes beyond my imagination in a lot of ways because I just got the fuck out of the room for a couple minutes and let everybody do their thing, you know? And so that is... That's what it's all about. Music, your friends, your friends who you love. And this is some more Taylor Hawkins. I was um, 10 years old, and my neighbor, Kent Cleeter, um, had a drum set. I wanted to play guitar because I wanted to be up front. And then he sat me down on the drums. For most people, they go, You know, I sat down and went. For some reason, it was just there. And he, and he was like, you're a drummer. And I was like, oh, I'm a drummer. I have a purpose. 
this is my man cave, as they call it now. They call it a band cave or whatever. It's kind of my studio. The stuff that I have, the memorabilia that I've collected over the years from record stores or eBay or whatever, it's almost like comfort food. You know, to be surrounded by all these sort of memories almost, you know, that David Bowie and, you know, Sound and Vision, that's where I really discovered Bowie. So, I mean, that sits behind me when I'm in here jamming. It's almost, it's like being surrounded by old friends. I think there's two kinds of collecting. There's that, just, just the stuff that you love and you're passionate about and you like to see and it makes you feel warm when you're surrounded by it. And then there's the, I'm gonna, you know, get Eric Clapton's original lyrics written from Layla. And that's an investment. I have uh, Roger Taylor's snare drum and the drummer from Queen that he gave me that he used in the Freddie Mercury AIDS awareness concert that they had after he died. And I use it. We've used it on recordings. It's down at the Foo Fighters studio. So we, we use it. A friend of mine gave me this for Christmas a couple of years ago. As you see, this is the band Monte Hoople on Broadway. And if you look very small, it says with special guests. Oh my God, there's a ticket inside there. I never even noticed that. From that night, oh my God. I played at CBGB's in 1995. Actually a really good sounding room to play in. It's grubby, it's grimy, it's gross. Everything you want in a little small hole in the wall rock club. It's obviously had this history, the Ramones and Talking Heads and Blondie and Police did their first American gig there. There was a reason that people went there. Political strife usually makes for some pretty good, inspired rock music. Obviously, yeah, what was going on in England at the time with the labor strikes, trash piled up everywhere. Margaret Thatcher was in office, they all hated her. Like right now, with the country sort of being super torn, hopefully we'll get some good music out of it at least. <laughs> See why I wanted to be the guitar player? I don't remember the show. You know, we were doing a lot of festivals back then, and we still do. It's, it's strange to me. I'll never see myself in the same realm as Stuart Copeland or Ava Bowie or any of those people. And, and I don't think you ever should. It's an honor that people find that stuff to be treasures of some sort. I'm proud to be part of something like that. was an interview with Taylor Hawkins and he's drumming that's from 2016 and um, 50 years is not enough 50 years is not enough I am stunned and heartbroken and I want to give a shout out to my friend Rob whom I just think is amazing. I've always had so much love and respect for Rob. Um, Robert. Yeah. He saw the Foo Fighters. He saw that last tour. And strangely, he saw Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones last tour. That's, that's something to witness. These geniuses what they do best and as I uh, Charlie Watts was 80 Taylor Hawkins had just turned 50 that is too young and he had such a, a, a youthful rock spirit 
Whenever you, whenever I saw Taylor Hawkins, I thought that's rock and roll right there. The essence, the authenticity, the love of doing it. And I am just, like I said, this is, this is a, this is a sad day. I don't know what, what everyone's going to do. I am stunned. I send my love out to Dave Grohl, Nate Mendel, Pat Smear, Chris Shiflet, Shiflet, Rami Jaffe. Um, those who loved him, his family, his friends, his wife, his kids. <sighs> All we can do is remember. And he was always into it. You could see it. You knew the Foo Fighters were ready to go when Taylor hit those drums. Oh my God, like a motherfucker. That's life right there in the fast lane. Well-oiled engine. And Dave was right. Taylor was the James Brown of drums. That is a beautiful compliment coming from someone that he considered his best friend. That was his best friend. That was his brother. And they played music for 25 years together. And I am, my heart aches for them, for all the Foo Fighters fans, for his family, for his friends, for everyone that ever met or got to see Foo Fighters and Taylor Hawkins playing on those drums, even Taylor Hawkins singing. I remember they did a tribute one time to Led Zeppelin, and I didn't know he could sing. And he sang, and went, yeah. Now that's what I'm talking about. Um, so, Taylor Hawkins, my friend, may you rest in peace. 50 years was not enough. What? As Maynard James Keenan said, all this pain is now an illusion and you're at peace. And that is the Dr. Zeus film podcast. Pray for rock and roll. For Taylor Hawkins. And for all those beautiful memories that he gave us in his very short 50 years. That's not enough. Look at people who live into their hundreds. And here's Taylor Hawkins. He could have lived into his hundreds. And it's it's heartbreaking. It really is. It's more so heartbreaking for his, his family. And his musical family. Good night.